0: Welcome to DevCast, brought to you by Deverell Smith, the right people. DevCast is where property meets people, industry figures, news and views, what it takes to be your best. So sit back, earphones on and enjoy this edition of DevCast. Hello and welcome to DevCast, Devil Smith's audio series, which holds exclusive and thought-provoking interviews with professionals of the property industry. My name is Andrew Devil Smith. I'm the CEO and founder of Devil Smith, and today I'm joined by luxury real estate legend—I'm going to call him (laughs) Mister Super Prime himself, Daniel Daggers. Daniel is recognised as the world's leading real estate, or one of the world's leading real estate agents, with a career spanning over 22 years. His professionalism. He's filming me. His (laughs) professionalism and insight have earned him the trust of royal families, dignitaries, business leaders, celebrities, sports people across the globe. He was one of the first agents to harness the power of social media, and don't I know it because he's pointing at me again, where he built an online community and supports young professionals throughout the industry. Amen. Mr. Daggers, welcome. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Or should I say
1: welcome again? Yeah, we, we, we should probably be very, uh, we should be transparent here and say that we have done this once before, um, but let's just say something happened, and uh, we're going to have to do it again, which is fine, because I get to see your face again.
0: Oh, well, you were too kind, and um, I thought the first one was good, so let's see how the second one goes. Great banter. It was great banter. <laughs> so where do we start? Where do we talk about, I think... I want to talk about um, early life. I want, I want yeah. to, I want to hear about Mr. Dagger's before, before the world of agency.
1: Spotty teenager, wanted to be a professional footballer like every other, or like a lot of other young kids in the UK, and uh, and really probably deep down realised that I wasn't good enough. Um, was a bit of a no hoper at school until I studied business studies, and then it was like the light switching on. I couldn't quite understand why high 3.142 or whatever it is, was, uh, was so relevant in you business. you learned a lot
0: more than me. It's no, <laughs> I didn't,
1: I didn't. Um, I couldn't quite understand where that fit in the world moving forward because my dad never mentioned it from his kitchen table whilst he worked and ran his business. And I thought to myself, well, I'm not really learning very much here. And then business studies, and then I did a, a, a little two-week course as an estate agent as part of the, sorry, business studies course and I enjoyed it, I was great at licking stamps. At the same <laughs> time, um, I was trying to become a professional footballer, uh, broke my collarbone, or went and studied uh, surveying, which I'm sorry for any surveyors out there, I found remarkably boring. Um, and, uh, and I was uh, helping my dad measure kitchens, because that's what he did for a living. And, um, and then my father freakishly bumped into the estate agent that I did a two week work experience in, and uh, And the estate agent said well what's what's Daniel doing now?" and my dad said, "Well, he's in a sling because he's broken his collarbone he's he's jacked footballing because he realizes he's probably not good enough, and he's looking for a job. And I had a phone interview I How probably sixteen I was seventeen and a bit, and I had a phone interview, and I really could have done with your help Shush. because no, no, I'm being serious because um, because the boss called me and he said to me, uh, so what motivates you and I was this you know spotty teenager wanted to put some 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 a rear spoiler on my Vauxhall course <laughs> no I'm being serious and a subwoofer in the boot and uh and I said money and the boss said well that's not really what we're looking for we want someone who's just you know committed and 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 wants to build a career so I apologized and he and he uh, invited me in at 17 and a half I, I was given a telephone and told there's a card box with the applicant's details and crack on worked there for 11 years 10 years they were like family didn't get equity in the business, which is what I really wanted, and then moved because I recognized globalization was taking place and I needed a bigger, better platform to work from. And um, I moved to Knight Frank and stayed there for 12 years. So 22 years in total and uh, a lot of experience, a lot of uh, pounding the ground shall we say.
0: Well, look, those those to talk about. But back, back uh-huh. to this, how, 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 how does a 17 and a half year old estate agent operate in London? You've never bought a property at that age. No, you're right. You're, you know, a kid by um, yeah. know, most people's description. How wh- wh- What's the strategy then? And how does that change with a bit of... So in the beginning... Um, there a was like, beard today. So. so yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, well, I was fortunate enough if people, if anyone's... Follows me on social or looks me up, you'll see that I can grow a beard in about four hours. Um, so I wasn't follicly challenged when I was younger, which meant that I re- I wanted to appear a bit older. So I grew my facial hair out, but it was bucking the trend because up until probably five years ago, having facial hair was considered to be, well, you're, clean, you're not clean and you're dirty and then you're not professional, um, which, I would, which I was totally against. But um, as a teenager, it was... Just go for it, but it was super uncomfortable. Calling strangers who are double your age, yeah, or more than double your age, and then trying to convince them to buy their most expensive assets from a 17-year-old teenager who's still pubescent spots and you know, doesn't have any life experience is a, is a big ask. And so Stephen Vickers, because it was Vickers & Company where I worked at, Steve, I, I owe my career to Stephen. He, he really gave me an opportunity. I mean, my, my salary was nothing. I think I was earning something like 10,000 pounds a year at the time, and then commission. Um, but he gave me an opportunity, and he literally, I remember walking in, Grace, beautiful girl, who was work, working in Lettings, she, she greeted me at the door. I walked in, I was like, wow, I'm lucky, I'm working with Grace, she's gorgeous. And, uh, and then I waited for an hour before the bosses walked in, and then when the boss walked in, he said, right, there's your desk. Obviously, I was familiar with the space because I'd worked there for two weeks before, uh, prior. And uh, he said, there's your desk, there's your phone, there's a car box, off you go. And I was petrified, absolutely petrified. And then after a little while, my biggest struggle was the, the, the intensity and pace of work because I was so used to finishing my studies at three that at three o'clock, no word of a lie, I would be at my desk, no computer or smartphone to entertain me, I'd be at my desk looking at my book thinking who can I call and nodding off. I was exhausted at three o'clock. As soon as three o'clock hit, I was tired. And then gradually you start to, you know, it's a bit like an athlete, you, you, you do more and more work and then all of a sudden you start to be able to focus for longer and longer and longer and your pace increases, you become much more athletic at work. And I, start to, I started to realise that the best way of learning was practice and failing and understanding why you failed so when i lost the deal i realized i lost the deal because the sentence that i delivered at the wrong time or the sentence was incorrect or the person i was speaking to wasn't prepared to receive the information i was about to deliver and i started to dissect and become scientific about how i approach work and i learned so much from the people around me i mean we talk about now because during covid about being in office space and whether or not it's relevant or not it is relevant I learnt from a lot of people that were around the table. It was an open plan office. It was about, I don't know, yeah. 1,500 square feet, and I could hear conversations.
0: I agree. That's my biggest fear here as a, as a business owner. It's not so much about those that have found their feet and know how to operate. It's about the next generation and the generation yeah. coming through.
1: It's cross-pollination. And right? learning,
0: just learning by osmosis. I mean, I, I remember being at Vickers. Uh,
1: sorry, when I left Vickers and I went to Night Frank, I was 27, it was 2000, November 2007 I joined. Probably the worst time you could join a business because in theory, uh, last one in, first one out. But thank God they recognized my talent and I, after a few months I started to do quite well. But probably for eight years working in that office, whilst I wasn't the boss of the office, my ears were like radar because I wanted to the office to win. And I wanted people to perform really well because it made my life easier because when I go out on pitch and I say well my office is flying this is what we've done I become more powerful my opportunity to do more business increases Mm -hmm. so I would listen to every conversation and pull people up and say hold on why would you say it that way you should say it this way why would you do it like this why didn't you say send a message first to prepare for the conversation and it was it was the amount of knowledge that you pass on to people who are willing to accept it because a lot of people aren't, a lot of people think they know better, um, was was so valuable. And even the people that I used to work with that have gone independent and left or still there, they would say that it was so valuable to be amongst people that had knowledge.
0: So were you any good 17 to 20? I mean, no. you, you, you were pretty no. prolific today yeah. back then. No, uh,
1: between 17 and 21, well, i tell you what I recognized after probably a couple of years was that um, or very quickly I recognized that no one was going to do business with me out of choice because I had the most knowledge uh, or I had the most experience. I had to offer something that no one else was willing to offer, which is I'm going to work faster and harder for you than anyone else will. So as soon as someone called the office looking to buy something, I'd be like, "Have you spoken to anyone else yet?" And if they said no, I'll say to them, don't worry, go back to work, don't stress yourself out speaking to a state agent. I'll call them all for you, I'll collate the information, I'll put it in one email to you when the computers are up and running, and we'll go and see everything together and I'll hold your hand. So I saved them time. That's what I could do. Yeah, that, them time.
0: And that's in sales speak, control, exclusivity.
1: Oh yeah, 100%. I knew that, right? So if I blitzed, the first time, and this is still a, this is something that everyone should be doing. I'm talking myself out of positions myself by saying this, but this is what everyone should be doing. Because if I show that person everything the first time around, then I pretty much control that market. So I recognize this. And then I showed a guy called Andy a flat when I was about 20, 20 to 21. And he was six foot three, had a ponytail, was in banking super cool guy, ginger guy, like really cool and edgy and tattoos and whatever. He was doing really well. And I remember thinking to myself, or I picked up the phone, I'm not sure I like this flat because it's eaved. It's the top floor. So it's a bit cool, but it's eaved and he's really tall. So maybe I shouldn't call him. And I kept on finding excuses as to why I shouldn't speak to people. Mm. And I thought to myself, sod it, I'm going to call him. So I called him. He said, yeah, will come down. Let's go, let's go and have a look. It went down there, had a look at the flat, South African guy. I can't remember his name was selling it. And as we walked down the stairs, he said, "Pay the man. No negotiation. Just pay the man." And what I realised was, don't make decisions and excuses for other people. Advise when you need to advise. Tell him it's eaved, but convince him to come and see it because you never know what's going to happen. So, no. First couple of years, I was, I was. It was really having to understand in earwig conversations, use people's terminology, their peak and troughs in conversation, whether or not they realised they were doing it or not, and then. My biggest bugbear was the other guy or two other guys in the office that were more senior than me. They were going out and pitching for clients to sell their property. So they were advising on sales values. So there was like pound per square foot at the time because this is ninety, seven, ninety-eight, 98, 99, 2000. Yeah. And I kept on losing out to them because they would know about the property first offer it to all their buyers, get them in, and then tell me about it. So I was too slow. So I remember banging my head against the wall to say, I want to go out and pitch. I want to go out and pitch. Now for the owner of that business to have a 20 year old, 21 year old go out and pitch business when we're up against big, big firms like Chesterton's and Goldschmidt and Howland and Mike Franks of this world, it was a risk for them, but you recognize talent. And I never lost an instruction. Is that right? Never lost an instruction. The most difficult thing, I remember being sat in my Vauxhall Corsa outside a flat. Did I, they have
0: a subwoofer and a... I had a... At the time,
1: I saved up for the subwoofer and I was thinking about getting the blue lights because the car was blue <laughs> underneath. God. Yeah,
0: I was really ghetto. Well, this is made of veil. Yeah,
1: yeah, this is made of veil. So I'm outside this house in Sutherland Avenue. I'm about to go and value a second floor flat at the bottom near Harrow Road. And I was having a little bit of a panic attack to so think... I'm about to walk into an apartment. I've got no idea what I'm about to see, right? There's no Google maps. There's no historic transaction volumes and long and all these sort of things. I'm about to go in blind, meet someone I don't know, have to build rapport, and then tell them the right value of their property with like a licked finger in the air. Super, it's panic stations. It's like absolute panic stations, but I nailed it. I knew my stuff. I nailed it and I got a lot of confidence from that. And then it started to grow and I started to do really well. And I remember when I joined Knight Frank, expectation levels for me were at you know, say six. Yeah. But I was at that point 27 with 10 years worth of experience and I'd worked in a boutique company. So I knew everything about everything, you know? I could read people at that point. And I love it when you're underestimated. Now I don't have that luxury. I see it as a luxury, actually, because people see my track record and now they have high expectations of me. But at the time, I was 27, I thought to myself, yeah, absolutely underestimate me, happy days. And I blitzed, I did unbelievably well because I wasn't at a six, I was at an eight. Um, but that's why I love, you know, if I had my time again, that was, that was brilliant. Young person constantly being underestimated is just brilliant.
0: I agree, and so, like uh, here we are. How how old are you? How old am I? We're the same ish age, I think. Hopefully, I'm, I'm forty. Older. I'm forty. Yeah, I'm forty.
1: Are you? Yeah.
0: Well, you, you look younger.
1: You moisturise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's what month are you? December. Shit, You were younger than me, excuse me. I don't oh. know. Yeah, oh, did you just swear? Yeah, oh, I just no. saw my podcast. You mean, you mean you're mean you being your true self, you're being your true self, listening. not <laughs> uh, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I said a light swear. Word. Yeah, um, okay. So, so here we are, what, uh, 14 years on from that, 12, 14 years yep. on from that. Um, what have you learned since then? So, you're going to night, Frank, world class major league you know arguably you know the place to be in 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 terms of north london prime
1: so i'm in st john at the time when i first when i when i went there i was in the st Wood office had an option to work within the one to four million pound price range or the four to ten million pound price range and i thought to myself well we're about to go into i'm going to copy your word here we're about to go in the shit um <laughs> it's it's you know we're we're in big trouble here we're gonna go into recession oh my god the word recession petrified me as a kid and i would ask people who are listening to this podcast do not be scared by recession it really means opportunity and i would be i was sat there and um i i when i when i made the commitment to moving, I said that I wanted to work within the four to 10 million pound price range because I felt that the wealthy people, the wealthier people in the market were going to bounce back quicker. Uh, After six months, I hadn't sold anything. It was a little bit of panic stations and then I did really well and I billed 650,000 pounds in six months. And I learnt quite a bit from the people around me. In particular, there was a person who was known as the deal doer in London at the time. And I learnt a lot from him good and bad um, I learned how to how he manipulated what the market would say which was very interesting and um, I, was, I was in an environment which was competitive but healthy the boss gave a lot of freedom um, and I really excelled it was, it was really interesting uh, made loads of mistakes learnt from them
0: and did you pick Knight Frank or did they pick you? I mean, how did, they always, did they have they, a lot of options? They knew,
1: they knew of me because I was a kid doing relatively well. And, you know, all the young staff know everybody around. Yeah. The girls know the boys. The boys know the girls. The boys go out with the boys. And, you know, everyone just sort of vaguely knows one another. You're doing split com deals and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, so they knew of me and they always they flirted with me. Uh, I think that's the right terminology, and I recognized that globalization was taking place. I thought if I'm going to go somewhere, I'd go there. Savills weren't around in North London, really, uh, or in that neighborhood, and I had an opportunity to go to two other small independents to become partners, but I knew what the right decision was. Globalization was happening. You know, there were foreign buyers coming to London, and you know I needed to be in that space to go and do well. So, so tell but me, I learned a lot.
0: Tell me the story of your thirties. We've covered twenties, thirties in agency.
1: Um, uh, it was a bit of a roller coaster. I, I've never felt that I worked in the boom market. I never felt that every appointment I do, I'd be selling something. I don't feel that I've ever worked in that market in a really unusual sentiment never felt that. So my thirties was learn, 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 learn. So I'd learned the St. John's Wood neighborhood. I wanted to be the best in the office. I then wanted to be the best in the neighborhood. And then in my late, and it was transaction after transaction, but I didn't see it as transaction. I saw it as building rapport with groups of people, because remember, I've been in the industry by 15 years at this point. So I was doing multiple deals with people that I've done business with before. So I started to recognize, or I did recognize early, that it was all about relationships. Because if I sold Andrew something for 250,000 pounds when I was 18, he'd probably end up selling it for 750,000 pounds or a lot more money and look to buy. And so I saw everybody's relationship.
0: Mm.
1: And on average, people move every five years. So if I'm gonna stay in this industry, then I need to keep in touch with the people that I've already done business with. So that was a bit of a no-brainer. And my 30s was about learning and exposing myself. I remember having an argument in my office in St. John's Wood with a girl uh, called Jade, who was brilliant uh, and I really loved working with her. She challenged me and uh, she, she was in my team to support what we were doing. And she, she she challenged me and said, look, you don't know the world very much. You know, what do you know? You haven't been traveling, you haven't been, you haven't exposed yourself to different parts of the world and so on and so on and she was right so I went traveling a lot and I put my hand up to become the US ambassador for the UK when everyone's really focused on Asia at this point. So there's loads of agents going east.
0: I didn't know you did that gig. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I was the first US ambassador for KF. And probably the only one really like targeted. So everyone's going out east because that's where all the money's being created, right? And we know <coughs> Asia is just is flying. And I thought to myself, I want to buck the trend here. Because if I go out east, one, I don't to speak the language. Two, I have to learn the culture. Three, I'm one of maybe a thousand estate agents that are going out there trying to secure business. Uh, whereas in, if I go to the U.S., one, I know how to speak their language, and I don't mean it from an English point of view. But I mean do it, you? I you mean, know. I do it a lot, yeah. as you know. Yeah, what you mean, <laughs> uh, elevator and lift and, and uh, all that sort of stuff. But no, I know how to speak their language. They're more direct. And the business also felt that it was the right move for me. So I did that, and I learned how all the U.S. agents, how the business worked and what was important to them. And I built amazing rapports with the best agents across the whole of the US. And I mean the best agents. So my network is insane across Europe and, and, and the US when it comes to protection Do you think
0: American brokers are better yep. pound for pound than yep.
1: London? Yeah, the average American broker is probably, yeah. And the top end, uh, they're more entrepreneurial. There's more skin in the game. They make more money. So they're more committed. And they're happy to go for it. I love that entrepreneurial spirit. I know that a lot of people think America is just like this, this uh, what they call it, um, playground, right? Where everyone's wild and doing crazy stuff to get attention. But the best agents there are phenomenally good.
0: Okay, let me ask you another question: US, US, UK, because we both have a passion yep. for both markets. Yeah. What about the quality of schemes, development, new products? Weaker.
1: The specification of the new, new developments in the US is, is nowhere near what the UK delivers. Yeah, and, I'm, and that's also benchmarked against a lot of Europe. I haven't been to Asia, so I couldn't comment on Asia. But the scheme, we're very fortunate with what the developers deliver here. At the top end, yeah. at the top end. I mean, one Hyde Park, I was in there the other day, uh, we were representing a couple of clients there. And you still go into that, that building and it's spectacular. It's fresh, it's clean. You can eat off the floor, literally. The porters there are, uh, are insanely good. Your service is incredible. It's really a very special environment.
0: And is that still the one? That's the one that in my world, were we, 10, 12, 14 years old? Yeah. Everybody still talks about One Hyde Park. Yeah, it's a,
1: look, it's a bit uh, Marmite. Not everybody loves it because it's super modern. So you don't really have old money there. Um, but if you're talking about service and specification no one's come near it the specification's through the roof it's too much it's really high There's, no one will develop again to that specification I'll be very surprised very very surprised
0: so um, I'm a buyer fresh into town just mm. got lucky won the Euro Millions
1: all just worked really hard <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah um I'm cruising around social media. I see this dude who looks quite cool who is posting interesting stuff, and and I and I contact him and I say, Danny, I've got 20 million pounds. I want to invest in London. I want to build a home for my family. You know, build a home is the wrong one. Yeah, but I want to buy a home.
1: Yeah. What do I do? Yeah. First of all, I ask you to confirm who you are. Who you are? What's your credibility? What have you done? Are you Googleable? First of all, I need to know exactly who you are before I start dishing out any advice and working on it. This happens regularly. Um, It's one of my best sources of uh, lead generation in a crude way, but I'll find out who you are. I'll ask you to tell me who you are because people who have, uh, who have, uh, whether or not they've been given wealth or created wealth, aren't really shy about it if they want something from somebody. And in fact, a lot of people are, are very proud about their success as they should be. And um, and uh, they appreciate me asking that question. And then we'll find out exactly what ticks them, you know, what makes them tick, what they want, what they actually want. Because a lot of people will go into the marketplace and say, well, I want X, they end up buying Y. Yeah. We noticed this years ago about, about mm, I'd say a decade ago, uh, or certainly after 2007, what happened was there were no developers in the marketplace. So no one was building anything out. So you'd get a lot of people that came to London because we bounced pretty quickly. They'd come to London, they'd wanna buy a property, but there's no finished product. So they'd start in the golden postcodes, which at the time, because they're changing, were Belgravia and Knightsbridge and Mayfair, and they'd end up buying in St. John's Wood and Highgate. So you'd have to go cross borders with them. Yeah. And that's because it's product driven and uh, unless there's schooling or, uh, or a place of worship like a synagogue or a mosque or a church where they want to walk to it but um that's what i would do
0: and where would you buy if, with with a 20
1: million quid check? No, i love where i live it's not it's not i don't necessarily need to be around people who have the same wealth as me but uh i love little venice um having a Four and a half thousand. I sold my favorite house to, or I was involved with the transaction. I wouldn't want to say I sold it. I was involved with the transaction of a, of a very well known musician who moved to, a, who bought a house for about fourteen and a half thousand, uh, fourteen and a half million. And it was about four and a half thousand square feet with off street parking, a 200 foot private garden, and then a door at the end of your private garden into two and a half acres of communal gardens. And it overlooks the canal. I mean that is just gorgeous. You don't feel like you're in London. And so that's probably my favourite or yeah, my favourite home or mm-hmm. one that I would choose to live in. Yeah. I mean I've sold homes for up to, you know, or been involved with homes for up to 150-200 million pounds. But if I could pick one that I'd want to live in, it would be that one.
0: And loads of our um listeners to this will be um Younger London estate agents, you awesome. know, not, not working in these the, the super prime space necessarily. What's the advice? What's the difference? Um, how should they prepare to get into it? And when, when, they, when they find themselves getting into it, what would you say is the biggest difference selling at, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 million quid as opposed to one, two, three, four? So,
1: the first rule the first of thumb is real estate is not about real estate, it's about people. So you've got a building which is 4,000 square feet and you can understand the cornicing and the structural elements and stuff like that and the history of ownership and so on and so on. Everyone can know that. The differentiator is how well you can get to know people. Because I read people, that's what I do for a living. I'm not the smartest guy, I can't spell. There's loads of weaknesses in my, uh, in my locker. Yeah? But getting on with people, building rapport, building trust is the most important thing. So if you're a young estate agent right now and you're in Hounslow or wherever you are, I would probably get a job in the most expensive neighborhood you could get a job in and go and experience a different way of life. Yeah, I would learn from the agents around me, although i try and supersede them, don't get comfortable. I'd make mistakes and learn from them. I wouldn't cry about them. I'd feel it i'd own those mistakes i'd recognize them but i wouldn't make the same mistake twice and then i would look to maintain my relationship with everyone i sell a property to because in five years time they're more than likely going to go and buy a bigger one and you have to follow those people and then what happens is after 10 years or 15 years you end up dealing at the top end of the market because you your support network it's not your office, your office is your family. Your support network is all the buyers and clients that you've met over the years because hopefully they become your friends and that's what I would do and then I would absolutely digitize your digitize your portfolio, get everybody watching what you're doing every day because that's your new CRM I'd be marketing myself over social media, and I would be um, I would be talking about my successes when you can. And then I would put um, a spreadsheet together of um, all the deals that you've done. Because I've got a little black book of all the deals that I've done since I was 17 and a half. And every time someone young rocked into the business thinking he's John Travolta or Michael Jackson moonwalking past me because he's done a deal, I'd say, that's brilliant. But come here a second. And I'd throw my little black book at him and I'd say, or her, and I'd say, This is how much business you've got to do to be unbelievable. And it would motivate people, it's great. You've got to work hard. You've got to be the hardest working person in the room. That that definitely wins because you and I have spoken, motivation is a massive, massive part of our industry and it's a bit of a concern.
0: So we've kind of covered the past. Mm. Let's talk about the future.
1: Well, hopefully I'll get married, have kids. You don't want to know about that, do you? You want to know about business? Um,
0: no, I, I don't mind. Let's do, We can talk. We can, <laughs> we
1: can. <laughs> I don't think it's going to stay on topic, though. Um, okay. Um, keep going back to it. 2007, I recognised globalisation was taking place. Okay? And I had to be somewhere um, where I felt I was in the best place possible to... Um, achieve all what I dreamt of, not goals, and goals are hard sometimes and they move. Now I see a very different world over the next two to three four years, we've spoken about it independently, separately, and um, I think the power of, of people is vitally important, I think technology is extremely important. I think technology is going to, I think the internet and technology is going to level the playing fields and therefore the only differentiator is the person, the human. And I think in residential property, in real estate, in what we do, um, because it's such an emotionally led decision, computers won't take that job away. So to all those residential estate agents out there, you're okay, but you're going to have to get excellent. Um, And so I'm building a business and that business is going to be very different to everything else that everyone's seen so far. I can smell a scoop here, Danny. No, the scoop's (laughs) not coming yet. I've got to keep the powder dry until we launch. Um, Which is when? Soon, soon, not entirely sure yet. Website, piece of technology that we're building, onboarding clients, just brought in a big dog to help us with something, which is great. And uh, I'm not going to lie, setup has been bloody tough. Why? partly because of covid i suspect but but one i've never set up a business before even though i acted like i owned my own business which practically you do as an estate agent your clients your buyers um so i was a novice at it and i had to learn new things but that's okay i love that i love feeling uncomfortable because i'm feeling uncomfortable because i'm experiencing something new which makes me is a bit like top trumps. All of a sudden, my points start to go up. Don't get me started. Yeah, yeah, we love this. We love this. <laughs> but all of a sudden, I start to learn. And then the more I learn, the more powerful I become. In um, stuff that I need to know. Not, not you know, uh, so, so, Venus and stuff like that. Stuff that I actually really need to know to execute business.
0: But you, you are a massive advocate of social media, right? You see that as primary platform for you to do business. Uh, the
1: most important yeah. Yep.
0: And all of the world of social media, which you know better than me, mm. no, you're not supposed to agree, but you mm. d- you No, <laughs> I do. just I just went. It's only because you're lecturing me on you're coaching, Sorry. coaching. Yeah, is best- a bit harsh. Yeah. Come on now.
1: <laughs> How much are you paying for me? <laughs> yeah. Go on.
0: I think um, not not enough. But um, wh- which platform? You know, if you could pick one or had to pick one.
1: Okay. So, so here's my tip for social media. If you are in a business, because I'm supposed
0: they're not all estate agents that will be
1: listening to this, but if you are uh, selling a, uh, a luxury product like property, then it's visual stimulus, and therefore it's Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, uh, TikTok, um, Twitter. I mean, all of the platforms. It's, do- it's do- all, it all of the platforms. Kind of kill
0: TikTok? He's trying to, isn't he?
1: Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure he's going to do it, but there's definitely a battle between uh, East and West right now. That's for sure. There's definitely a battle there. And we're sat in the middle, like a little piggy. Um, Look, the truth is all the digital channels are vitally important. But which one gives you the most leads? Instagram. So if you're listening, my handle is Daniel underscore Daggers. And please follow uh, because you'll get some tidbits. And if you want more professional information, uh, you've got my LinkedIn, which is Daniel. Anyway, yeah. So all of them. Are vitally important
0: how much time do you spend on it a day
1: not sure but an awful lot
0: what's the biggest howler you've made on it
1: we know what that is possibly made loads of howlers i made uh, spelling mistakes because my spelling's atrocious um there's loads i mean look i was the first guy doing it professionally probably on the planet from what i know what you think yeah definitely in the uk i mean people still contact me saying you're the only person or you're the obvious person to
0: do it Is there anybody else you see, I mean, come on, you're number one.
1: Everyone's got an amazing opportunity to do it. It's not about about number one. It's not about the amount of followers. It's not about, um, one thing that really uh, makes me laugh is when people are posting pictures of just properties just globally just to fill their feed up and maintain engagement, when really people are interested in people, yet people are really nervous with their face on camera and have accountability. And I know, I'm posting stuff where um, I'm talking about the fact that I used to tap dance when I was a kid. Really? Yeah. I used to tap dance when I was a kid. My mum put me through everything, tennis, tap dance, playing the recorder, which I think most people did in the UK, and then ice skating and I mean like I did everything because my mum was hoping that she was going to find me a talent, right? And then she never has to worry about anything ever again. And uh, I was quite good at tap dance and until, I, until I got bored of it, um, which is what happens when you're a teenager, I suppose, and you don't want to tell your friends that you dance. Um, but it made my feet really quick for football. And so there's loads of different things. But the, the social media thing um, is really important. And i tell you why it's really important. People fall in love with people over the internet. There is no reason why someone will not choose an estate agent to do business with them over the internet. And the only way someone will have a choice as to who they want to act for them is if you have a profile, because if you don't have a profile, no one's going to have the opportunity to choose whether or not they want to do business with you. Thankfully, I have a lot of people that like the information I put out. How much time a day do you spend on this stuff? Hours. Yeah hours but that's absolutely fine I've onboarded I don't know 10 billionaires through social media is that right yeah what am I going to do to do that how else am I going to do that I'll come back on this again when you figure that one out
0: <laughs>
1: okay it is such a powerful medium okay that people have said that it affect it affect excuse me the US elections yeah, I'm sure well, so do then. you think do you think it will have and brexit here right do you think that it will have an impact on the residential and the commercial real estate markets
0: yeah like I think it's impacting every every walk of every life business you
1: know, I'm, and I'm, I'm telling you from setting up a business that the professionals I'm speaking to who are some of the world famous people what they do saying when you build a business you have to use a phrase called social first so if you build a website and you can't advertise that website in a newspaper because it's a lot of money to do that, or on a radio station, or TV, how are you going to push an audience to your website?
0: Mm.
1: right? To sell your product, whether or not it's shoes, or hairpins, or property. Well, I've been building my audience for this reason. I now can go to probably 100,000 people in a day, or a day and a half, and I can show them your property.
0: So let me ask you another question, changes. Go for it. Because you're you're Mr. Social Media. Everybody knows it. What mm. what I I guess it's like top three estate agents you have ever worked around or seen in action. Um, and why? So there's a there's there's a handful of really great
1: agents, and there's a lot of good agents. Um, Eliza Lee was a woman at night, Frank who sadly passed away, and it was like losing. Um, a star player on your football team she was assertive powerful she was probably only about 5 foot tall she filled the room when she walked in the room she absolutely commanded her audience she was relentless in her approach of giving the best service possible she upset a few people but when you are striving for excellence that happens and she she was brilliant and yeah. she was very fond of me I was lucky I was lucky because she was fond of me um, so I got a little bit more attention from her um, and then there was, a, there was an element of like you know the baton being passed on to a certain extent and I started to realise that there were things taking place in the world that was different to how she saw it yeah. so she was excellent god bless her and then there's a couple, in the indi- couple people in the industry that I come across often there's Gary Hersham who's a legend does things very differently to me, but is excellent, really good agent. Uh, There's people in the US that I have a lot of admiration for. There's a chap called Stephen Lindsay, who works at Savills, who I worked under for a couple of years, year and a half, who did things very differently, ruffled a lot of feathers, but an excellent agent when focused. Um, There's a lady called Louise Hewlett, who works for herself yep. and I, I recently uh, sold her clients a penthouse for 33 million pounds uh, to, to uh, a buyer that I was working with um, she's brilliant there are a number of really good agents um, I'm very fond of the agents in North London they are hardcore that's um I don't know. I think there's people in central London that I haven't come across enough like Alan Russell and Charles McDowell and these established people who've been in central London for decades. that I haven't come across that much, so I haven't seen them in action, but I have seen all the North London agents and uh, you have to be on your toes. You really do.
0: So you've done, you know, two, two, you've had two stints. Vickers, independent. First yep. ten years, learned a, a hell of a lot. Yeah. Knight Frank, polished polished up your skills. I learned I learned
1: at Vickers the minutiae, and I learned slightly bigger thinking at KF.
0: Right. And so chapter three is you. Yep. Daniel Daggers and Co. Yeah. Of some description. Not mm-hmm. that you're going to tell me today, which is really annoying. <laughs> um. So, so, what do you see the next big? trend of agency being in London
1: more of the brokerage model I think people have the opportunity to market their services now which means that um, either businesses has to harness value from those people now which makes the people more more valuable Um, and I think our industry is going to go through a massive change because it is probably here in the UK anyway the least customer centric service uh, industry, I have witnessed after travelling the world and experiencing how people do it everywhere else. You think? Oh my god! You Think we're the worst? I think we are shocking. <laughs> you wanted truth, yeah, I, I know. you know. I think I think we're shocking. I think the best agents understand that it's all about relationships, and they do whatever the client wants. They don't go, "Oh no, sorry, I don't deal with that." Uh, let me just hand you over to a stranger. I talk about social media. I talk over social media about about trust, equity. It's the trust you build up with somebody, and every year you get to know them, you get another ten percent or fifty percent, and every time you do something it's spectacular, you get another five percent. All of a sudden, I've got eighty percent of trust equity with Andrew, and then Andrew says, "Daniel, you used to work at Vickers. I'm selling my home in Maid of l because that's Vickers' remit, geographic remit." Um, I'd love you to sell it. And I said, Well, I don't work it because anymore. I'm so sorry. I went to go and get a better financial package, and now I'm working in Chelsea. So I can't sell it for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Pardon? This is what's going through Andrew's head. Really? Did he just turn me down on my £2 million sale or my £5 million sale because he doesn't work the neighbourhood? Okay, well now I have to go and deal with a stranger that I've never met before, and I don't know their track record, I don't know where they spend their time, I don't know anything about the human being that I'm going to give a set of my home keys to my home where my children sleep, where my dog eats the, you know, the food, and my wife and I chill out, and this stranger is gonna walk through my home. I know more about my Uber driver this morning that took me to work, than I do about the estate agent who's got keys to my property. OMG. Okay, point
0: taken. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you got super serious and intense there. No, 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 it's true. But I guess, like, just to sort of play devil's advocate a little bit, sure. can you be an expert of every single market? You know, London, there's 50, 60, 100 villages, whatever that sort of saying is. You can't know them all as well as the local guy, right? Maybe not, but
1: I don't have to know everything about everything. There's data that everyone's got access to now. The local guy might know the name of the guy who runs the corner shop, right? Or other small pieces of information that could be really important. But let me tell you something. When I take a property on for 10, 20, 30, 100 million pounds, I'm going to absolutely drill into that neighbourhood. I'm going to know what time the sun comes up. I'm going to know which way it stretches round. Where does the sun peer through in the morning? I'm going to know everything about that piece of real estate and the surrounding neighbourhood because I don't need to do 50 deals a year.
0: How many, what's a par year? For what, you, what do you mean? Pa, do you play golf? No, no, sorry, I don't either. Old man sport, isn't it? you address no, like no. you do. <laughs> 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 I am not wearing white trousers, everybody. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I ain't got plus fours on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go um, on, no, so you've got you know, what's the standard year for you in terms of volumes of transactions, not values?
1: Um, I would say anywhere between sales here, sales yeah. 10 to 15 deals a year, no, so it's one, one a month, let's say. Yeah, but my average deals are. I think my, in my final year at Knight Frank, where I build, I sold 246.7 million pounds worth of property, I think it was. One of them was a ninety-five million pound asset. Um, my average transaction was something like 18 million
0: pounds. My average. And that explains why you never ring me to offer me a property. So thank. <laughs>
1: thank. <laughs> I didn't know you were looking. Oh wow, just onboarded a new client.
0: Um, move the decimal point across a look, couple of notches yeah. call me
1: <laughs> I, uh, I look at, at Vickers I'd have yellow folders of my deals and when I knew I, when, when I, I felt good and I would count through those folders five times a day just to check they were five or six or seven or eight or twelve deals I had running at any one time Yeah. and then you go into the major markets and you haven't done a deal for three months how does that feel maturity kicks in you have to be mature. You have to back yourself. Can you imagine running a race, like being a hundred meter sprinter and haven't won a race in three months? You start losing confidence, in your own ability. You start thinking to yourself, I'm not wearing my lucky underwear or my tie is playing games with me. I have to change my tie. I've been through that. I show mass empathy to the people in the industry because I've been through it all. But working at the top end of the market, you need to have just insane amount of confidence in your ability, and patience. I'll wait three years to do a piece of business.
0: So, so, so what does So what does, I never know, Danny or Daniel, I'm kind of always, I'm always unsure of that. That's We're right. talking business, aren't We've we? We've known each other for a Dan long
1: time. time. We've known each other for a long time.
0: So when you hang up that telephone of yours and you, you've got repetitive strain injury from you know, all your social media activity, mm. What does success look like in terms of your career? No idea. Really? Yeah, I don't know.
1: I I think that the next five years of our lives in our industry is just going to be a massive change for what we already know. And so how do I envisage what, what the end looks like for me if I think we're going to be about to go through a massive change over the next five years I don't know what the end really looks like look I, I definitely had a chip on my shoulder for many years people said I wasn't good enough at football and I wasn't good enough at studies and I wasn't good enough at chatting up girls and I wasn't good enough at loads of things right loads and so I probably had a big chip on my shoulder to say well I'm really good at this and I need to prove it I think I proved it I don't need to prove myself anymore to anybody I don't think but do I want to create a business an opportunity for others to be successful and part of my knowledge because I really enjoy seeing other people win. I'd love that. I'd absolutely love that. That would make me um, happier than I've ever been.
0: I think that was the line I used to get you to do this. So I'm um, like. <laughs> happier than I've ever been. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Round two. And I think there's a trilogy in this. Go on. Mr. Daggers. Do you think so? I'd like to think so. Well, after the business is
1: set up and we're and we're somewhere down the line hopefully. I hear you're building
0: a bar but is that maybe that's a rumour I've got well I've got an idea I think um, um, maybe I can come to your bar Laura will kindly set up the kit well maybe I'll, maybe, but, maybe I'll run it you can pull it's the it's like drink. cheers it's gonna be like cheers <laughs> maybe I'll run it and
1: uh, and you can fund it how about that
0: um, you know richer people
1: than <laughs> me, <isn't it? laughs> that 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 you've confirmed yeah. no I've got a bit I've got a bit of a theory of what I think is gonna happen Do you want to talk about it? I think people are going to want to spend some time in some offices, but everyone's going to want to look for excuses not to spend some time in in an office with a thousand people in it because I think stuff like COVID is going to happen again. Um, I think because of the adaptation, we've had to uh, embrace uh, that working from home or working remotely is going to definitely be a bigger thing than it once was. So you're going to have a population of Of uh, employees or or, uh, independent parties looking for places to work from that isn't necessarily an office with a thousand people in it, and where they're going to have meetings, and where they're going to chill out, and where they're going to network. I think we're going to go for massive change.
0: Quite excited by it, to be honest. Yeah, you and me both. Mm -hmm. You and me both. I think the future looks really exciting for London real estate. Yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm definitely not a
1: bearish person.
0: What haven't I asked you that that I should have done? Um, Next week's lottery numbers. (laughs) Uh, I don't really
1: know. I mean...
0: What have you got to get better at? You're super successful.
1: Spelling. Really bad at spelling. That's not going to change. I sort of own that. What have I got to get better at? Um, I've got to get better at my job. Because there's, there's always something to improve. Um... I want to create a legacy. If I died with 100 million pounds in the bank, well, whoopee days. Um, but if I, if I passed away and I had a 1,000 people at my funeral who said that guy really helped me out and with his advice and his expertise, I became a success, I became a greater success and my family had a better life, um, that would make me really happy really happy
0: yeah good on you Daniel thanks we're running out of time you know the score this is our second uh, this is our second lap of the track I've
1: forgotten quick fire questions.
0: questions yeah ready to go you're having a drink. You're on preparing. My... <laughs> <laughs> don't choke. Oh my god! I'm nervous. I'm actually nervous. I don't right. remember what I these think, were. I think Laura. Laura writes these questions. I think she's. Um, I remember there being. I, I think, think she's mixed massive. up. Oh really? I remember
1: there being like a really unusual one. Thinking, where's that come from? Is something like, do I like, I don't know,
0: avocado or something else? There was a. There was a. Anyway. Listen. Here you are. Trying to preempt the question. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Trying yeah. to outguess the game. Go on. Okay. Question one. Location. View. Of square footage. Oh, you've added the square footage in here. Um, yeah, yeah, we've got that right.
1: There you go. How do like those apples? Um, location, square footage or view? Location. Really? Yeah. I'd, go, I'd go view. Well, we had this thing last time where it was about, would you like to live opposite the Taj Mahal looking at it? Or would you like to live in the Taj Mahal looking out? Looking at it. Okay.
0: But I'll be waving at you from the sound of things. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there waving at you from yeah. my really comfy bed. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Favourite football memory? Uh, me playing or, or me watching? The question's the
1: question. Uh, um, I took my dad to the Champions League final. Um, I got the tickets for Arsenal against Barcelona. got the tickets 24 hours before the game from a client of mine. Uh, a lady and she said oh I've got spare tickets to the game would you like to go and I fell off my chair and said yes I would really <laughs> and she gave them to me and I had the most amazing experience with my dad it was something I'll never forget
0: brilliant yeah brilliant even uh, though we lost <laughs> London Paris or New York to live in you keep sort of trying to uh
1: London uh, I think I think uh if if I was going to live in those cities if I had my life again probably between the age maybe not now because Covid's had a massive impact but exclude Covid um, as a kid probably between the age of 20 and 30 I would love to have lived in New York amazing energy great fun massive opportunity uh, for a young person to make a lot of money and be successful but as a whole London is the best
0: city Marmite, yes or no? no I hate Marmite oh my god no way really yeah sorry what would you put on your toast instead um strawberry jam I reckon ready yeah avocado
1: (laughs) (laughs) or Nutella but I'm losing yeah right (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. I wish the truth comes out you know finally
0: just okay this is this question I ask everybody pretty much this is my question okay Bowie or the Beatles Daniel
1: okay so I said the Beatles right can't remember. I said the Beatles, and you and you looked perplexed at me, going, "Oh, really? And it, it's only because... And I told the story about uh, bumping into... Um, oh, oh, Sir Paul. Sir Paul McCartney. Uh, shall I tell it? Shall I yeah. it?
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's actually really nice. So Sir Paul McCartney performed on... What was the programme? It was Simon Cowell's show. X-Factor. X-Factor or something. Shall I tell the story? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was... Um, I was watching the show. It was Sunday night. I was watching it, and he performed. It was the final episode, so he performs with one of these new artists. And it yeah, was great, and he was a really cool guy. And he lives in St. John's Wood. And so the next day, it was Monday morning, I'm walking down Cochrane Street, which is a side street from my office towards Barclays Bank. I was going to check to see if I had any money in the bank. And I'm walking up Cochrane Street, and I'm on the phone to an old mate of mine who I've known since I was four. And we're walking. He goes, "How's everything?" I say, "How's Lucy?" You know, because he's married. How's Lucy? Has the baby? Whatever. He's like, "Yeah, good, thanks." Yeah. And as I turn the corner, Paul McCartney's walking towards me, and and uh, and and so I had to say it. So I put put my phone away from my ear and went, "Paul." And he looked at me. He said, "Yes, mate." And I said, uh, "I said, great performance last night. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much." And he said, "Oh, my pleasure." great time thank you take care I said bye he said bye mate and he carried on walking and I put the phone back to my ear and I said Mark you there he said who's Paul and I went oh it was just Paul McCartney and uh, it was just a funny moment <laughs> so the Beatles from that experience
0: so the odds of Paul McCartney ringing you to vlog his house he follows
1: me on social media what do you mean he doesn't.
0: <laughs> he doesn't. No, but this is a genuine question. I'm interrupting my quick-fire questions for go on. Okay, so the odds of Paul, Mac- Paul McCartney lives in Regent's Park. I think. No, he lives in St John's Wood. All oh, right. Well, used Beautiful to... house. Right. Yeah. He's going to put his house on the market. Yep. What are the odds he's going to ring you, the sole trader?
1: Uh, if he does digging, if he doesn't just go, oh, walk down the high street, which I don't think he's going to do. Well, if he does digging, that's met
0: him. <laughs> That's true. But no, he
1: was was about to walk down Cochrane Street, so it's not the high street. Um, What's the likelihood? It depends if he does
0: any digging. He got a one in five shot of getting the call. Maybe. The big agents get a call.
1: Maybe. I wrote on social media that we are going into a global referral network. The more people who know who I am and the more people who know my track record, the more likely I am to go and receive a piece of business. And so... Mm, let's have. Let's do this in. You both, I know you've got a shot. Let's do this in. You're being. I'm being modest, am I? Yeah. Okay. Let's do this again in three years' time. All right, or two years' time. Let's see where the business is at and in your how well we perform.
0: In Drinks bar. Pour, poured and paid for by you. Yeah. I mean,
1: I don't really drink much, but yeah. Okay, fine.
0: <laughs> Go on. Um, final question. Final of the slowest, quick round. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Ever. Yeah. Um, that's my fault for the record yeah. if you could own any building anywhere in the world oh, yeah. which one would it be and why um, so
1: I said the home last time That's H-O-L-M-E I think there's an E at the end of it uh, which is one of the big stucco detached residences in Regent's Park in the middle of Regent's Park and it backs onto a boating lake and it sits on about four acres and um that's pretty uh, unique, which is a word that 's often used for a lot of property, but this is very unique and uh that is a very special home so probably that
0: danny um to you know double thank you for doing this you've been oh, really pleasure. really we 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 had a slight technical glitch last time <laughs> around which um you've been really gracious about you've come back you've you've been really open i've loved having these conversations with thank you. you. And I know your motivation is to spread the, spread the word and give 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 the others in the industry confidence to do what you've done. So yeah, huge respect. Good luck. Thank you. I'll be watching. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks ever so much. Oh, my pleasure. Lovely being here. Take care.
1: You can join the DS movement by visiting ds.devilsmith.com, and you will receive the latest devcast episode direct to your inbox.